Stranger Than Christian is sponsored by MDD Staffing Incorporated. You know, when you're looking for professional in-home care, a meticulous level of detail is so important. You don't want to leave the most cherished elements of your life to just anybody. That's where MDD Staffing comes in. They are a premier domestic staffing agency working to fill household jobs with the absolute best candidates available. Their standards are high and their interviews are thorough because that's what their families expect. The result of this approach is top-notch care from experienced, fully vetted professionals. Owned and operated by one of the most sought-after professional nannies in Boston, MDD Staffing is committed to maintaining the highest standard of excellence in all of its placements. Nannies, babysitters, dog walkers, housekeepers, and so much more. For more information or to explore the services available to you, email mddstaffing at gmail.com, find them on Facebook, or visit mddstaffing.com. And The Wash Vintage clothing and accessories at unbelievable prices. Search for The Wash Vintage on eBay to browse a vast selection of rare, unique, and fashionable merchandise. Follow The Wash Vintage on Instagram to get an exclusive look at sales, promotions, and the new stock that's added each and every week. The Wash Vintage for the masses. A nice big long conversation. That and $1,400 to get you through the week. From Kansas, this is Stranger Than Christian. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian Carey, and it is day 12 of not having any carbs. I'm on a diet. I've been trying to, like, watch what I eat, and it it feels rewarding. You know, I feel like every day that I go without eating some type of crap, I'm doing something for myself. That's like, it, it's, it's an achievement for me at the end of the day. Um but it's still kind of difficult. It was much more difficult the first week or so. You know, I I wonder if it's everybody who goes on a diet that like gets angry that first week that like I want to I want to I want to eat this shit and I can't. You know what I mean? Um but once I got past that initial frustration, it feels a lot better. And so it's we're closing it on two weeks, and I've lost six pounds so far, and I am excited to see where that goes. I, I, I just, like my wife says, I just want to be less people. You know what I mean? I just want to like, you know, you know what it, you know what it's like being on a diet. Anyway, uh, shout out to pickles, by the way. Mount Olive organic baby dill pickles have gotten me through some intense episodes of primal hunger um they're just really good they're not a sponsor or anything if they want to be they can um but yeah man mount olive pickles what up that and what else have i been eating um beef jerky has been coming in clutch um cashews nuts in general cashews walnuts almonds have been coming in clutch peanut butter organic like the raw peanut butter you know what i mean like i don't do i love the taste of peanuts so 
I'm not like into the mainstream peanut butter. You know what I mean? I'm like more like indie, like underground sort of, you know. I like the tame impala of peanut butters. <laughs> that makes sense to nobody but me. It may be two other people listening. Today, I'm talking to Sarah. Sarah lives in Kansas. Sarah was a joy to talk to. And she works as a... Sarah was a joy to... Oh, my God. What the... I'd say right now. <laughs> so right now, I'm trying to explain this. My wife is calling me from downstairs. My brother's calling me on the phone right now. <laughs> This is what happens when I try to do this at 8.30 on a Monday morning. Anyway, so what's Sarah... <laughs> oh, I have to ignore this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll call. I'll talk to everybody in a second. So what Sarah does is she provides support for people who provide care for children all across Kansas. Um, and she amazed me. She had such an intimate knowledge of what it takes to raise a child and what it takes to care for a child. Um, I was blown away by everything that she knew, and we had a fantastic conversation. I really think you're going to like it. Facebook at Stranger Than Christian, Twitter at Stranger Than C, and of course, patreon.com slash Stranger Than Christian. If you're interested in supporting this project, I'd greatly appreciate it. And I'll be back in just a minute with that conversation with Sarah from Kansas. But first, here is a word of interest about a phenomenal program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian. Stay right there. Hey there, Robo-fans and Dino-fans. Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Every week, your host, Louis G, invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a Robocast. It's a Dinocast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs. Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Robos B Dinos or Twitter at Versus Robots. That is at VS Robots. Hey, Sarah? Hi. Hey! Oh my god, you're early! I'm sorry. Uh, no. no, I'm not sorry. No, I'm don't be sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. Are you? No, please do not apologize for that. No, I yeah. wish I wish more people were early. I, when I do these, I close my laptop. Like, I, I don't see anything right now. Oh, so I can't okay. tell when people come in or come out. But I heard somebody, like, take a drink from a bottle and adjust, yeah. their, adjust their volume and stuff. So I figured that was you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So you don't do video at all? No. Oh, no, okay. as a matter of fact, if your video is on, you could turn it off. You don't have to. You don't have to oh, worry okay. about that at all. Because then you don't have to see my closet. Because that's where I record from. Is my closet. That's a good. I'm recording from my closet. Yes. I don't have any clothes great. in mine though. Mine is all soundproof foam, and well, there's some clothes, but they're like folded up up top. Right. No. No. This is our our legitimate closet. Like it's our it's our actual closet. So. It's luckily it's it's ridiculously big. Um. And so, like, I have a little desk and everything in here, and I leave my chair in here and everything. Lucky you! I have a chair I and know. a desk, but this closet is tiny. <laughs> if they ever, if if the police ever raided this apartment, it would look like I was here against my will. 
Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never had a closet this big in my entire life. You legit can like lay across it. Um, I'm like 5'7", right? So I can lay all the way across it and still not touch both sides. That's amazing. I've never had a closet that big either. I shared a room my entire life. Like as a uh, child, mm -hmm, I, I mm -hmm. shared a room with my brother. So I we always had like a... I always had half a closet. I never had like a full-size uh, closet to myself. And I yeah. love clothes. So uh, my childhood was pretty much torture. I can only imagine. Yeah. So like <laughs> if you look at our closet, it looks like I have more clothes. But if you really look like my husband is a t-shirt person, like he like, you know, he likes beer slogans and crap like that. And he's also right. and he's also a shoe guy. So he's, you know, his are all over the place anyway i i know what it's like my brother my brother's a shoe guy and then i i became a shoe guy i am definitely i'm a sneakerhead as they say but i don't have i don't have as many as some people do but right. the ones i do have i love it is hard to it's hard not to be a shoe person when you marry into a shoe family because adam adam my husband his his dad and his granddad both ran brown's shoe stores i don't know if you've ever if that's a thing where you are <sighs> Um, um, I don't know. There was a shoe store called Tom Brown when I was a lot younger. Maybe. I, that was around for a while. But I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's nationwide. Because you're, where are you on the East Coast? I'm, no. I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Pennsylvania yeah. now, but I grew up okay. in Connecticut and that's where that store was. Okay. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know if Brown's is a nationwide thing or if it's more Midwest, but they ran shoe stores. And so Adam grew up, you know, he worked in a shoe store. And so now like... He, him and his sister, like for Christmas, you're gonna either get alcohol or shoes. And those always, are two essentials. Are you kidding me? That's fantastic. I, and and it's always good alcohol and good shoes. Like my husband, I'm one of those people that I'll wear a pair of shoes until they fall apart, and or I'll buy like the twenty dollar boots because I'm like, well, they're twenty dollars. And he's like, no, 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 I need you to buy that hundred and fifty dollar pair of boots because they last. It's worth it. It's okay. yeah, I, I, and I always heard that that mm -hmm. when it comes mm -hmm. to getting things for yourself, you're supposed to spoil yourself. When it comes to what you sleep on and what you wear on your feet, because those two yep. things dictate the way the rest of your life goes, especially if you're working and on your feet all the time. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Yes, and he's usually right. So about that kind of thing, anyway. So. I used to but not do that. When we were younger, my brother and I, we we discovered this furniture store in the next city over that used to sell bootleg Nikes from the back, like the back, nice, like the yes. loading dock. So uh -huh, uh -huh. it was a furniture store in the front, but you go in the back, there were lines of people waiting to buy sneakers. It was it was uh, awesome until is... one day one of them fell apart and there was like Chinese newspaper in the middle. So oh that's what we God. were paying. <laughs> so that's what we were paying for. But I gotta tell you, those shits were comfy. <laughs> oh my god that's amazing that's like that's like a movie right? you know right like and and you know that one of those pairs had like some drugs in it or like some legit like gangster money that was oh, supposed to, have. to go into the shoes had to have if you think about it that's a, got it yes. yes if you think about it that it's is a genius way 80s. yes it's a genius way to transport illicit goods it's oh just stuff yes. it into sneakers you ever yes. hear about these like um once in a while, they'll they'll pull a bust at one of the airports in New York City, and somebody will have like forty nine thousand avocados, but each of them has cocaine in it, or something like that. No. Yeah, once in a while, they'll you know, oh god, what was it? Just a few weeks ago, 
I forget what it was. It was some kind of like fruit, some kind of food, and it turned out they were all fake and it was all stuffed with drugs. Okay, so like avocados, like that would be hard, right? Because they're like hard as a rock and then they're fine and then they're, you know, completely ripe. So like that would be a tricky fruit to, you know what I mean? Like if somebody goes to squeeze them, like. No, 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 Sarah, but this is the thing. They went the extra step. These were all fake prop avocados oh well i mean if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go go hard oh right? yeah oh absolutely like, I, I would think they would well my my initial thought was like maybe you should pick a bigger fruit or a bigger food something that you can like mm. really fill but you also don't want to gather so I, much suspicion right away avocado exactly. nobody suspects the avocado right because who who would i mean right it's amazing. the it's the most innocent of, i hate avocado but do you? I got. I don't. I'm the worst Puerto Rican ever. I hate avocados so much. Okay, so what are your thoughts about cilantro? I love cilantro. Oh, okay. Sure. I love cilantro. In my yes, opinion, the people who everything. think cilantro tastes like soap or tastes bitter mm-hmm. are weak, and yes. history will forget them. Yes, and here's my other thought. I I I have not done a scientific study to prove this, but I think that. So here's my other question to you. So you like cilantro? When you eat asparagus, does it make your pee smell? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, so yeah, it I, does. I sure. Think, I think this is true. Okay. People who um, think that cilantro tastes like soap, um, asparagus does not make their pee smell. Oh, you think there's a connection there? Yes. Because some people, they don't have the whatever in their body that makes that their pee smells after they eat asparagus. And I think that they are the same people that think that cilantro tastes like soap. Because that would an be an interesting study. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder. I mean, that's like I that's fascinating them based on their character, but I think it's really actually something in their body that makes them not like cilantro. Something genetic that you can't hate mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still choose to because it's. Oh yeah, I'm going to hate on them anyway. Of course, but, right? But <laughs> I got to tell you, it's we usually it's usually at about the 30 minute mark that the conversation devolves into urine. So. <laughs> In that way, we are already light years ahead of every other episode I've done for the past few weeks. Uh, well, I will tell you, just just buckle in, Christian, because that's that's just who I am as a person. I'm so I am so excited. I got to tell you, so it. far, even just the first few minutes, this has gone better than any of the other ones I've done for the past. I've had this like inability to focus for the past couple of weeks. So mm. as a result, I feel like I'm hearing people talk, but I'm and maybe I am responding properly. But afterwards, I think about the stuff that I said. I'm like, I shouldn't have said that why didn't oh, i say this why didn't i ask this why didn't yes. I, and i i beat the shit out of myself story about it story of my fucking life man yeah how do no. you how do you how do you maintain focus when you need to do you have like a technique for like just just focusing in on what you need to do well uh one of one it starts with taking my meds every day that's that's the important first step um <laughs> okay oh do you have ocd oh. Um, and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, both. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And actually, here, so here's the fun part. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 27. Uh-huh. And I wasn't diagnosed with OCD until about nine months ago. And I just turned 40 on Friday. So. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm, sure. I'm, you know, 40 and. Well, okay. Side note. So have, did you ever see that? It was like 10 years ago, Mike Gundy, you know, who's a football coach or whatever, right? He was doing some press conference and the reporters were like coming after the, the kids and stuff. And he's like, don't come after the kids. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. 
Yes. And so, okay, right? So Yeah, I remember I, that. Right. My husband brought that. So he's two years older than me. So like when he turned 40, he would say that a lot. So now like for the next year, I've already let him know that there will be a lot of I'm a man, I'm 40. Like I found out today <laughs> that I have to have my first mammogram because now I'm 40. And so I just texted my husband. I was at the doctor's office. I was like, well, I have to have my first mammogram. And he was like, and he gave me, you know, the, the, um, the face, the emoji face, you know, right. And so I texted him that meme that's like, I'm a man, I'm 40. Right. (laughs) Okay. Side note. That was a total side note. So that's okay. um, I love it. Right. Right. Stick with me here. Right. Sure. Take your meds. No, I did take my meds this morning. So, um, uh, uh, ADHD, right? Like, so, but probably like I spent most of first grade with my desk up against the wall with my back to the classroom because Sarah couldn't quit talking. You know, Sarah has so much potential and I want to be like, well, fuck you. Guess what? I get paid to talk now. So, um, right. Good years for you. and years. Yeah. Years and years of that. Right. But not diagnosed till I was 27 and then recently di- diagnosed with OCD. So, and my OCD is obsessive thoughts. So it's just that thing. Like I can legit remember conversations that happened years ago where I said something where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Now, have I ever seen that person since that conversation? Nope. Sure haven't. Guarantee you they don't think about it. So to answer your original question of how do I focus, (laughs) um, one, honestly, all joking aside is taking my meds because, you know, that's that's what my body needs. I know meds aren't for everybody, but I know that my body needs meds to operate. And right. And there's no shame in that. Exactly. And yep. not because society thinks I should operate this way or whatever, but because I don't like who I am. Mm, I I am uncomfortable in, in my skin when I'm not medicated. Um, you know, it's the obsessive thoughts, the the inability to focus like oh so there's this tiktok that i just saw um are you on tiktok do you like tiktok i you know what i'm not on tiktok but my wife and i watch compilations on youtube more often than we watch regular tv right so tiktok i'm telling you man i have learned so much stuff from tiktok in the last six months like legit learned stuff um but there's this one that was going around that it's a it's a compilation of Oh, an old timey song, you know, da 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 da, whatever that one is, and mm, then like okay, some, right, 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 and then some Cardi B song on top of it, right? right, and and it's like if you have ADHD, you can you can discern both of these songs and hear them at the same time, like yes, absolutely. So I played it for my husband, and he was like, "What is that nonsense? What are you, what is that?" And so I had texted it to a friend of mine, and I was like, "This this is what it's like to have ADHD." This, this song right here is what it's like to have ADHD. And so, and also just talking to me. So, you know, right now that's, this is what ADHD is like talking to, I think. Um, so some of the things I do to stay focused, to answer your question again, I promise. Um, is I, I write... love all of this. <laughs> <laughs> do not feel like you're doing that. You're doing great. <laughs> okay, great. Great, great, great. Um, also I work from home, right? So I don't see a ton of other or talk to a ton of other adults, which is okay for me. But also when I do talk, then it's kind of a little bit of verbal vomit. And, and I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So if I do too much, you just stop me. So. No, that's uh, the, that is the point of this show is talking. Right. You're in the right place. Right. Um, so I write everything down. If I don't write it down, it's not going to happen. Um, I have discovered this year uh, with Microsoft Outlook, they have the to-do app, 
list right. thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can, oh my God, I love it so much. You can make a list and then within that list, you can have, you can have a uh, to-do. And then in that to-do, you can have steps in that to-do. And every time you cross something off, it makes a dinging noise. Oh, it's, that has to feel great. Oh, it's so rewarding. That has to feel great. It's God, so rewarding. It's not on the same caliber at all. It's actually a whole different category of thing. But my wife and I get the same feeling when we get something on Amazon and you buy it now. You get a nice or, – or no, when you put it in your cart, you get a nice little vibrate on your phone yes. when you hit the button. Oh, God, it's like something dropping in the cart. Like, yeah, it yes. feels so good. I mean, they have got our brains figured out, man. Have you watched they really that? do. Have you watched that one on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? Or, oh, what the fuck is it called? It came out a few months a, a few months back. That's a, that basically just talks about how social media companies have completely figured out our brains and are just no. I haven't seen oh. that. I'm gonna, I'm I'm home tomorrow. I'm gonna watch it. That sounds Dude, fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. It is just and and you're like no 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 I'm an I'm an educated person like I know better than that, but there's just so much in our phones that like even like if you're scrolling through Instagram or whatever and if you happen to slow down over an ad or something, your phone has the technology in it that it it notices that and tracks that, and so that's why you that's part of why you get more ads of the same thing. Because it's tracking how long you're scrolling and looking over things. It's insane. It is a golden age to be involved in online marketing and advertising. It's right. there's it it's 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 absolutely insane. And a lot of people say, "Oh my God, that's sick! It's a violation of our privacy." You signed up. Uh, it's all part of the thing. Yep. You know what I they mean? Still People make complain phones, about it, but my man, like, yeah, go for it. E- exactly. And they say, you know, if the service is free, you are yes. the product. Exactly. You know, You're, nothing it's so is true. For free. Yes, that's absolutely. right. Yep. I saw a YouTube video. It was a while ago. Um, but uh, so a guy had his Android phone out. He mm. turned it off, put it on the table, and talked to his wife who was sitting there. They talked about lamps. They mm-hmm. talked about buying lamps for the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, he opened up his phone, opened up his Facebook app. Yep. Fucking A, he had ads for lamps. Yep. Yep. It's Pinterest. insane. Pinterest yep. is the freaking worst, man. Like, I'll be talking to somebody about something that I've never talked about before. Guess what shows up on my freaking Pinterest feed the next yep. time I open it up? Yep. It's the yep. thing yep. that I was talking about. Yeah, I, I don't use the Facebook app on my phone anymore. I just use my browser, which I'm sure has some ability yes. to activate my microphone anyway, but... Probably. I don't know. I only I only keep social media for this show and my parents. Uh, That's really about it. You know, I don't have Facebook, actually. I got rid of it. Honestly, it was after the 2016 election. I found mm-hmm. myself blocking more people than I was friending. Yep. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a break for a year. And after a year, I was like, well, holy shit, I'm not checked. I've not checked Facebook one time. So I deleted it and I don't. And I still get people my age, people younger than me, people older than me. You don't have Facebook? No, I don't have freaking Facebook. Like, no, and guess you don't what? Need I'm it. still alive. And I bet you're happier than you yes. were when you had it. Oh yeah, no, I, I, and I realize it was also, you know, a very tenuous time in our in our society that I made that decision. But like, legit, I would go through Facebook and I could feel my blood pressure going up i'm like this is ridiculous why am i why am i giving so much power to a phone why am i giving power to something i can't can't control 
Right. And so now, and I, so I have Instagram. I probably look at it once, maybe once a week ish. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's the main reason why we have social media, but I have my pod, my podcasting partner, Rudy is the one that does all the social media because, you know, I'm like, uh, I forgot yeah. to look at that. Sorry. I <laughs> had the same experience regarding social media and elevated blood pressure around October, November when yeah. Thanksgiving was coming and we were still yes. in the throes of the pandemic yeah. and people were talking about what are we going to do for the holidays? We're going to yep. get together. Yep. Are our family members going to be able to see each other? Are we doing a virtual Thanksgiving, you know, whatever. Yep. And I found myself, like you said, blocking more and more and more people. And part of the part of the freedom of that particular platform is that if somebody's talking a bunch of shit you don't want to hear, just hit the fucking block button on them. Exactly. Like you can do that. Like yeah. there was this there was this one girl who who I was friendly with and mm. and and I worked with for a while. And the last straw for me, it, it was a bunch of stuff, but the last straw for me was uh, she posted something, and this was a around the time my wife got COVID. Mm. She posted something that said, um, it was in relation to uh, the, you know, you can only have so-and-so number of people in your house for the mm-hmm. holidays, whatever, whatever. And it said, uh, here's my permission slip that says I can have as many people as I want. And it was a picture of the Constitution. And I out loud uh, said, fuck you. And I blocked her. Yes. I couldn't do it. I right. couldn't do it. Nope. But So here's my thing, Christian. Here's the Here's the place that we are as a society, that we are blocking people virtually instead of having a conversation with them face to face right i can just block you and this isn't at you right this is this is sure. this is society as a whole it's it's this it's this we have become so um it's just it's so easy right to just type some shit and be like you're an asshole fuck you stupid motherfucker right and and i'll never see you i don't i don't know who i don't know who you are Right. But I clearly don't agree with what you're saying. So I'm going to tell you how dumb you are. I'm going to bully you. I'm going to I'm going to block you. I don't have to. Or even, you know, it's easier to block somebody than to just straight up unfriend them, because if they know that you unfriended them, then they'll know that you were upset with them. Then it's a whole thing. Right. Then it's a whole thing. But I'll tell you this. In my particular situation with this with this girl, I wouldn't ignore her out in public if I saw her. I'd be very friendly with her. But it's my phone. It's my online presence. I have the prerogative to decide what influences I want on my timeline. No, no, no. 100%. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. No, that's fine. 100%. Yes. No, I think that particular situation. Yes, absolutely. But I, I think more what I was trying to get at is that is that we have especially for the younger generation that we we've created this culture where i don't have to deal with my problems i just block them well that that is true and that that ability to cut people off with not a second thought i feel like goes hand in hand with the anonymity that the internet has given all of us anonymity, we can that's curse the word. That's we can the word curse somebody for. out yes to the you. end of the fucking day and 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 again There's not not think twice about it right zero exactly we're released yes. of a lot of the social responsibility yes. of our words and of our actions and we can say things yes. and do things that we can't do or say in person 
I feel like those two ideas go hand in hand. The ability to just cut somebody off and the ability to, like, say fuck you to them and not feel any consequence. Yes. Yes. That's exactly the word I was looking for was anonymity. That's exactly it. Yep. 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 But it's a false sense of anonymity. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you think about it, who we are less anonymous than we've ever been. Oh, I'm look at the whole capital, the, you know, the insurrection and the riot at the Capitol. Right. There's all of these people who the FBI have said, hey, these are people of interest. We need your help. And like citizen sleuths are finding these people because, well, one, because they're a little special and like we'll tell people their names, you know, right. Of camera. But right. Um, but like you, there's nothing secret. You put it on the Internet. It is always there. Someone can always find it and find you. Mm-hmm. That's always. it's it's so true. The internet never forgets. No. And I and and I what I find interesting is the generation older than me, you know, so like my parents, and then the younger generation that has are uh what is so technically I'm a millennial, right? Since I just turned forty. Technically I'm a millennial, but I'm more of like an exennial. It's that because I was born in 81. So it's okay. that, you know, that there's that, I don't know, like swath of 10 years or something in between Gen X and millennials. I was born in 89. I'm a millennial, right? I, I'm you turning 32 this year. Yeah, yes. that's what I thought. Okay, you cool. Are, you are a legit lim- millennial. Good. Um, so all the millennial jokes I've been making, I can still make them. You can absolutely <laughs> still make them. And I it's technically factual. can't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, this idea. So the generation younger than us, right? The Gen Z, right? Gen yeah, Z is the next one over. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this idea of like, well, I put it on the Internet. It's not that big of a deal, right? Them and boomers, this idea that I put it out there, it's not that big of a deal, but then there's our generation where we kind of came up with we didn't have we didn't have technology when we were younger. We got it when we were, you know, like I didn't have Internet till I was in high school. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Same here. Di- and it was dial up at that. Okay? Yep. 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 I had mine through Kmart. What? <laughs> that's the officially Shut the up. oldest. That's the oldest sentence anyone has ever said. Oh I got God. my dial up Internet through Kmart. I was just talking about it with somebody the other day. Yeah. It was like pay per minute. And oh you bought it was like it was like using the Internet in jail. Like you got like calling <laughs> cards and I had like 45 yes. minutes a week. And yes. as soon as you ran out of time, that shit cut right off on you. Oh, my God. I yeah. did not know that Kmart sold Internet. Oh, my God. They sure That's did. It was That's it was such a scam. Oh, my God. Well, all of it. The AOL disc and the... I, well, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and it was... Well, Merrick, they were interviewing Merrick Garland, and he was talking about when he was at the Justice Department, and it was during the Oklahoma bombing, right? And they didn't know... And this was in 90... 95 95 it was in 95 i think right 95 yep he was talking about how they didn't really know what was going on because they didn't have internet at the justice department in 95 how insane how insane is that i i legit rewound it because i was like did he just say that they didn't have the internet at the justice department in 1995 then i was like Dude, remember yeah. you didn't get your internet until like 97. Yeah. Well, that was 
97 to like 2000 was yeah, like yeah. that was the explosion because before yeah. that it was still a sort of niche thing and nobody really yeah. thought it yeah, would yeah. have any long-term application or anything but then you know the big dot-com boom and people started yeah. buying stuff online and all that stuff started happening yeah but yeah think about that 95 that was just 30 years that wasn't even 30 years ago Oh, okay. Here's a different perspective on that. By the time 9-11 happened, uh -huh. the Justice Department had the internet for six years. Jesus Christ. That means that, that, means that if 9-11 happened in 2021, they would have just gotten the internet in 2015. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my that's, that's God. insane. That's insane. I have a personal fascination with the media coverage of 9-11 because that was the most photographed event yeah. in american history really? but it was yeah the most photographed the most documented event in history huh. um and everybody got their information about it from tv like nobody yeah. was sitting on their phone or you know refreshing facebook or anything to find out what was going on right on september 11th it was all from tv and right. news was coming in so fast on 9 11 they had no way to um to report it in any sort of timely or orderly fashion, which is why the news ticker came about. The news ticker was yes. invented on September 11th. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Yep. Because they, it was just so much news coming in. It's like we, there's no way they could verbally communicate all of it. It came about because I, I, know, I know that I've heard that before, but like right now I'm processing that. Like it wasn't around before then. Nope. The, I, nope. Nope, none of it. it. It's it's insane. You know, I've 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 watched a lot of the coverage of of, of that event just from all different stations, and because I, I've always been fascinated with it. I'm I love TV and the yeah. idea of unpredictable stuff happening on live TV. It's oh, like yeah. setting it's like setting up a chess board like mid game. Like, how are you going to get out of this? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like t mm -hmm. TV doesn't even know what to do. You right. know, um, and yeah, the you know, t if you look at TV. At that era, we, I mean, we were just out of the 90s, so we still sort of had that innocence and that uh -huh. that, that wholesomeness of the 90s still carried over a little bit. But, yeah. you know, you think about all the conventions and TV that carried over from that day, and it's like that's where that era in journalism and broadcasting started. That's insane. That's insane. Crazy, right? Yes. Yeah, you think about just where we've where we've been as a society, you know? Right. Exactly. Yes, and we t Yes, I Yes. Okay, you're going to have to come up with another topic cuz otherwise my mind will is just going to continue to be blown. It's and just like, going to implode like a black hole. It, 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 it is. <laughs> like if you were on your camera and you saw it, you'd you'd be like is she having a stroke? Like, <laughs> That's okay. I love it. That's all right. All right. <sighs> what do you do for a living? Okay. Um, so I am a training and technical assistant specialist for infant and toddler providers. All right. Yeah. Now, what and is that? <laughs> <laughs> that I honestly, that's my favorite thing to do. And, and P and people just to watch, watch the societal politeness of people go, Oh, that's, that's cool. And, yeah, then, yeah. Wait, and then wait to see how curious they are as people. Right. Like, so what does that mean? I can tell you if someone's curious or not, because they'll just be like, oh, that's cool. And then go on with their day. 
or like you or the lady that I saw today, like, okay, so what does that mean? So what that means is um, we provide, so we're, we're a grant funded program that provides training and technical assistance to infant and toddler programs across the state of Kansas. Um, we, it's a federally funded grant program. So what we do is we provide training to childcare providers and then the technical assistance part would be the easiest example to give is if you are a provider and you have a child in your program who's biting and you feel like you've tried all the things, right? Because biting is a completely developmentally appropriate behavior. Right. I would come in and kind of observe your day and kind of see what's going on. And then we would work together and I would coach you on different ways to... Um, of different things that you could do in your program, like different supports, visual and auditory supports you could have and just different things that you could do. So kind of just teaching teachers how to teach little people. So it's like customer service for like raising a kid or teaching yeah. a kid. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. They always say like, I wish I wish a baby had like a manual when you first get a baby, but yes. they don't have a manual. They have they customer service like you. Children do, right. Children do. That's, God, this is so crazy. I had this very similar conversation today with, um, I had some blood work done. And so the, the two ladies that were drawing my blood were like, you know, so tell me what you do. And and then it was, okay, tell me more. And they both had kids and they're like, okay, so when I said this to my kid, was that bad? <laughs> and I love when people ask that question. I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> which answer do you want? I'll right. Well, bad, and, and also I'm sure <laughs> bad right. is subjective. Uh, yeah. Oh God, Christian, yes. Right. I, I hate the words bad and good and nice. I hate the word nice. When you tell kids to be nice, what does that mean? Your nice and my nice are not the same thing. Kids don't right. understand. Kids don't understand that. Well, yeah, so, if you're telling a kid to be nice, you're telling the kid to be what you consider to be nice. Yeah. And who the fuck are you? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think one of my favorite things to tell people that blows their mind generally is that your brain's not fully developed till you're like 25 or 30. I believe that. Yeah. I believe and, that. And for guys, unfortunately, whatever the reason is, it it's more more on the 30 side than it is for girls. I, so. I also believe that. I also believe that. <laughs> yep, I do. Well, there's a lot of personal growth that happens oh yes. at, and from your 20s into your 30s. Oh, God, yes. I, I feel like for the past five years, yep. I've done nothing but learn about myself, good and bad. Yes, yes, yes. My 30s, I was like, hell yeah, bring on the 40s. Let's see. Let's see what else we can learn about ourselves and things. Yes. And yep. so it's, yeah, it's just... Yes, I and so I don't have children of my own, mainly because, you know, children, they smell funny and they ruin everything. So that's right. That's the same know. reason why we don't have kids. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. <laughs> I mean, there are there are other reasons, but that's, you know, one of the main ones. And also, I have come to the realization over the past few years that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be as good at my job if I had children of my own. Well, yeah, if you work at the ice cream factory, you're not going to like ice cream too much. Exactly. Right. Yep. And you're not going to have patience for the the machine when it gets, you know, clogged up and you have to clean it every, at the end of the night every night. Right. After right. you just told somebody else how to clean it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. So, you know, we have we have a very, very spoiled black lab named Gus. Um, he's giant. Oh. He's 100 pounds. Yeah. Oh, he's, my God. How old is Gus? He will be eight in June. Oh, and then we have good two. Boy. Yes, and then we have two seventeen-year-old cats. 
that are sisters. 17. Yeah. One of them has diabetes. One of them's got the sugars. Wow. Um, yeah. And the other one has like allergies and asthma. So honestly, we couldn't even afford to have human children if we really wanted them. Um, you know, between the cat's insulin and special food and Gus's thyroid medicine. And he goes to daycare once a week. So like, you know, we can't afford human children. How do you give a cat insulin? Is it a shot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twice a day. Oh, and you get and you got to Oh, and you yeah. and you have to like find a little like bald spot and go like that and, and put a little needle in. No, you just just wherever you get her. And it's, oh, okay. it's a really teeny tiny. I mean, it's a really teeny tiny needle. Like it does Right. And she doesn't she she doesn't have a problem when we give it to her. She's as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that she knows that it helps her feel better. Because she'll kind of, if she's in a weird position, she'll kind of move a little bit when she sees you coming with it with the syringe, so yep. that you can give her her shot. I have a cat. Well, my wife and I have two cats. One of them, the older one, he's about eight, eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. His name is Fat Polly, and oh, actually, he might even be closer to ten. He he's not fat anymore. He lost a lot of weight. He had a mm. thyroid issue, yeah. and so we have medicine that we give him twice a day in his ear. And oh. when he when he hears the little cap come off the tube, he will give me his ear because, like oh, you said, I think so he realizes cool. that it makes him. Oh, he's such a sweetheart. Yeah. I think he realizes that. That stuff makes him feel better. Yes. He'll give me his ear and I'll put it in. And I'll rub it on the inside of his ear and then he'll shake his head and he'll walk away. <laughs> He's like, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Yep. 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 I legit want to get those. Have you seen those buttons for dogs that they can push to talk to you? What? Yes. yes. No. Tell me about yes. it. Yes. Okay. So I saw it on TikTok. Um, but it's um, I'll have to look and see if I can find the name of it. I mean, you can do, you can just, you know, the push, the like staples button, right? You know, the right. push it and it says a word. Well, so you put those on the floor and then you train your dog to use, to push them and to tell you what they want. Like not just, you know, it's not like a monkey thought translator or anything, but like there's specific words that are there, you know, ball, play, outside, mom, you know, those kinds of things. But it legit, it's, it's legit. Wait, but how do you train the dog? So, like, how? So, if the dog wants to play, how do you train it to know that that's the button that makes that makes you play? So, my assumption is because I haven't I haven't rabbit holed into it yet because I don't want to. I am not ready to commit to spending the money to doing it. So, I've I've told myself not to research it too much because I'll get too excited about it. But my assumption is that, like, you know, if you have the little button that says ball. Any time that you pick up the ball, you would hit you would hit that word and say ball. This is the ball. So oh, to, to and me, you and you create that association yes, between the action and the button. Got it. I think it. it's probably very Pavlovian. Right. Um, but to me, it's how you teach children how to talk. Is that every time you say, "Oh yeah, here's here's the banana. You want a banana? Yep, the banana is yellow. Would you like the yellow banana?" Right. Like it's you're you're talking to someone who doesn't who doesn't have a fucking clue what words are or what things are like. Mm-hmm. Toddlers are amazing. Like they go from learning one to two words a day to up to five to ten words a day. When was the last time you learned five new words in a day? Uh, God, I don't even know. It's been a long time. Right. So their brains aren't fully developed. They're the their brain the sections in their brain are like firing and all these neurons so basically toddlers are kind of like drunk frat boys 
right? Like someone's always crying. Someone's always half naked. We're always spilling things, knocking things over, right? It's because all of those association areas in your brain, those neurons are firing, but they haven't yet learned to connect to one another. And so all of that's happening. Plus you're getting your two-year molars. So your ears hurt and you're learning what that thing over there means. And you're learning five or seven other new things every day. Like I would lose my shit every day too if I was going through that. Here's the other funny thing. The way that you say Sarah is not an East Coast pronunciation of that word. No, what is an East Coast pronunciation of Sarah? I can't do it. I'll try. Are you still there? It's Sarah. Like Sa- it's Really? It, it's a weird R. Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. I know. That's how I say it. Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. But one of my very dear, very best friends is from New England. Um, and it's it's Sarah. And and I know other people, like people from New York or whatever, when they say Sarah. And I'm not saying it right. So, you know, if you know somebody from up there, ask them to say Sarah. I'm going to ask just- everybody I know to say Sarah now. I had no idea yes. there was such a difference. Yes, because it cracks me up because I give my friend Steve's uh, crap about it all the time because it's it because just the way he says it. That's how do so you funny. Say, how do you say the word um, of the thing that comes from the tap that you drink? Oh, well, I say water. Yeah, water. I say water in Philadelphia. Water. They say water. Water. Yeah. yeah. Water. Yeah. No, it's water. Yeah. Water. 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 Yeah, water. Yep. Water. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> now we're learning words. See? We're no yeah, better than we're, we're no words. better than two common toddlers, Sarah. Amen. Amen. Anyway, your podcast. Anyway, tell me about it. <laughs> so it's called Kids These Days, uh-huh. and yes, it is about why kids do what they do for the adults trying to figure it out. Um. So we've talked about things like why you should not make children apologize. Um. Why children lie. Feelings. Um, I, we just we just uh, had our we just aired our thirtieth episode this week. And oh, good for I, you! Thank you. And all I can think of are those three things off the top of my head. All right. Well, let's take those. First of all, <laughs> why shouldn't a child apologize? Yeah. So I'm curious. Are you asking that because you're actually curious, or you're asking that because you're a good host? Both. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I am. Gen- I, I, I am genuinely. No, I'm a terrible yeah. host. No, no, I um, <laughs> I, I, I am genuinely curious, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious to know in what situation you're referring to. Like, if, if, yeah. if, if okay, tell me, tell me, what, yeah. why shouldn't a child apologize? Well, in all situations, right? Okay. So, so here's the thing: to truly be sorry, you have to understand what you did. You have to understand why it's wrong. And you have to make steps to never do it again. Right? Right. So toddlers, they're two-ish, right? Your brain's not fully developed till you are like 25 or 30, like we talked about. Um, Toddlers, for the most part, the majority of their decision-making happens in that brainstem, you know, that fight, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. Sure. Or in their limbic system, right? That emotional, I hate you, you stupid poopy face Mm -hmm. kind of place. that Watch your language, please. Exactly. Right. Um, You know, exactly. Uh, 
that you know the place actually so humans are are feeling creatures that think we aren't thinking creatures that then feel about things and toddlers are the epitome of that you know they live in this bubble they're very egocentric and that you know nothing no one could ever feel they don't understand empathy yet right if i touched it it's mine i looked at it it's mine i wanted it, it's mine uh kind of like our past president but um so we um the biggest toddler of them all by the way exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was trying to sneak that in, but I didn't play cool. That's all right. No, no, you did. Okay. It was great. It was great. Okay, great. Thanks. You you can edit out that little silence there, maybe. Um, I'll, I'll throw something. I'll throw. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll throw some applause you. in there. Yeah. I appreciate you. <laughs> appreciate you. So, for a toddler to truly understand why they did what they did, right? If their brain is so their brains are not operating in that um, prefrontal cortex, right? Where we make our decisions, where those places that happen when we're, our brains are fully developed. So if you ask a child, why did you do that? And they look at you and go, I don't know, I just did. Legit, they nine times out of 10 really don't know why they did what they just did. So if in order to be sorry, the first step of it is that you have to know what you did and why it was wrong. I guarantee you a toddler does not know why why it's wrong. And so then the other piece of that is, um, and I I need to dive a little more deeply into the research, but this idea, I think, especially for women, um, I know I find myself saying sorry a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So if at a young age, you're taught to apologize for your emotions, you're taught to apologize for the things that your body does and the way your body reacts, even though you don't understand why your body reacted that way, then that becomes a defense mechanism that you use forever and ever and ever. And so this idea that I now apologize. Well, Jesus, when the, when we first started recording. The first like, thing oh, you said, early. the first the thing you first said thing to me I was, said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Who the hell is sorry for being early? Right. And that's what I, that was my thought, too. I said, are you kidding me? That was great. Right. So that's and and I'm aware of it. I'm aware that I over apologize. But so that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that if you tell a child to say sorry, then you're teaching them that saying sorry gets it absolves them of anything. Right. So it's the same thing of, you know, if I bully you online, I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Right. I said I was sorry. Right. You've probably been apologized to by someone that you knew was not sorry. Sure. You know, my husband is amazing at it. Like, sorry. No, you're not. Don't fucking say that to me if you're not sorry. Like, you right. don't have to be sorry, but don't give me that fake ass apology thing because that pisses me off. Mm-hmm. And so then the other, you know, so then a very dramatic example would be, you know, if you've taught them that all someone has to do is say sorry and, and they're absolved, you know, later on, if they're in an abusive relationship and their spouse hits them and says, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I, I'll never do it again. Right. Then we've taught that person that all they have to do is say sorry and it's fine. Right. Right. And not even necessarily differentiate between whether they're sorry that they perform the action or sorry that there was a consequence for the action. And that is a yes, Christian Cheese, you are, you are amazing. That's the whole other onion layer to it that people don't understand is, you know, it, it exactly like sorry there's sorry on like i can be i can be sorry that you're upset about something right that because maybe that that was not my intention for you to like i already thought you knew you were stupid right like i didn't i'm sorry that you're upset about that 
I would never say that to someone out loud, but... Sure. Right. <laughs> that's an inside um, thought. That's an inside thought. <laughs> inside thoughts, Sarah. Right. Inside thoughts. Work on that. The filter, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yes. So, just this idea that... And when children are sorry, you'll know that they're sorry. I mean, they... When something... And so, so we can teach them... Um, like when something's an accident, like if you accidentally knock somebody's blocks over or you step on someone's hand, ouch, that, oh, it's okay. It was an accident, right? It's okay to say sorry when it's an accident because there was no intention behind that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I teach people and teach myself is when someone apologizes to you, instead of saying, that's okay, no worries, no big deal, to say thank you for that apology. Because if you apologize to me because you ha- you were a dick about something and I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm telling you that I'm okay with that behavior and now you don't have to worry about any part in it. But instead of saying, when I say thank you for your apology, I am now verbally acknowledging that, yeah, you were a dick and I'm glad that you said something because now, you know, we can move on from it. In the hood, they say real, recognize real. <laughs> Word. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you, you, yeah, you apologize, and then there's also the, the sort of uh, that reciprocal sort of acknowledgement that something happened. Yep. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and it gives value to the apology. Sure. Well, it's yes. very uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. To be like, oh shit, you did recognize that I did something shitty. Mm-hmm. I'm not just apologizing for this thing. Yeah. Absolutely. It also sounds like a lot of this goes some way towards building self-esteem at a young age, because that's one of the things that I've I've done a really good job of eliminating sorry from my vocabulary where necessary. Mm. It used to be a bigger problem for me than it is now. And one of the things I noticed when I stopped apologizing and stopped being sorry for things was that I felt better about myself. I didn't feel like I was constantly walking around fucking everything up that I touched. So I imagine that that goes a long way towards establishing some sense of self-esteem in in, in children. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that a person can instill a sense of self-esteem in a child at such a young age? I, you know, this bullshit about you not being a good host, I need you to stop saying that ever again. <laughs> I was kidding. Good. I I'm, sure hope I'm so. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, these are amazing. Those are amazing questions. And what an amazing connection that you've made. That that absolutely, that self-esteem part. Um, because, well, and so that's the other piece about it is if, you know, so... That self-esteem piece, right? This whole idea, I hear an awful lot when people say, oh, you made her sad. You hit her. She's crying. You made her sad. Right? Well, sometimes when I get, I cry when I'm angry sometimes, which Mm -hmm. is really fucking annoying. But so, you know, if I was angry and crying and you're like, why are you sad? I might punch you, right? Because I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm angry. And so when we say, oh, she made you sad. Now, now she's the one that responsible for whatever you do. Right. So that the not apologizing and the recognizing your own feelings is a sense of empowerment. And I think it helps to lessen some of that shame. 
right? I, so I think that's the biggest piece about self-esteem with children is that we have got to stop shaming children for being children. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they have zero. Listen, just because here's the thing. Kids are people, too. They're just smaller and they can't drive. But we assume that because they've been sitting in the back seat watching us that they know how. They don't. Right. Right. And so if you want them to be good humans, you have to remember that they are, in fact, humans and you cannot shame them for you know, having a potty accident or losing their shit because, you know, the pink plate was already gone or they bit somebody or I don't know. And I think. Well, any it, number of things that kids go right, through. Right. Sure. All those things. Right. You know, um, but I think th- so the self-esteem thing. Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think that it's it's not shaming it and it's just it's just acknowledging that they're humans right like they're and they're funny and they're they're kind and compassionate and they they're they're, they're just these little sponges that they want to know everything and they're curious and they're they're little scientists and they want to figure everything out. And when they ask you why, it's because their brains are developing and that they understand and cause and effect and that they trust you to give them the answers. Like, it's just so magical. And we just shit all over that. And I think it's that piece of it, it was so interesting, Christian, when you said that piece about self-esteem, like, and I know that and I've trained that and I've talked that, but for whatever reason, when you said that, that resonated with me as a human, when you said, you know, the more, the less I apologize, the more better I felt about myself. And I think for me personally, as someone with ADHD, OCD, who is, I'm, you know, I'm really good at my job. I really love my job. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. No, seriously. Thank yeah. Thank you. I, you know, and that's taken me a long time to be able to, to confidently say that without feeling like I need to apologize for my intelligence, for my passion, for my knowledge. Like that's, that's not okay. And I think so much of that comes from the, you know, needing to say sorry. And it's the struggle with my authentic self of, I don't want to apologize for being early. I don't want to apologize for taking over the conversation because my passion got the better of me and I shared some really awesome stuff with you. Like, why am I apologizing for that? Well, because at a very young age, there were adults in my life that were, Sarah, you're too much. Sarah, you talk too much. Sarah, you're too loud. Sarah, you're too much. And that will eat away at a person. And wow. So let's have a little therapy session. I'll send you my bill. Listen, but, it's 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 so true what you're saying, though. I, I, I went through the same thing as somebody yeah. who is very passionate about. I'm very passionate about the things that I enjoy. I'm passionate yeah. about this thing that I'm yeah. doing right now. I'm passionate yeah. about broadcasting. I've always I wanted to be on TV, on the radio my entire life. And so right. everything in my life was centered around that goal. And yes, yeah. throughout my journey, there have been people that were like, Christian, shut the fuck up. Christian, that's enough. Yeah. Christian, stop. You know, and yes, that does get to work on you after a while. Yeah, Yeah. it totally does. It totally does. Well, and I think so much of it. So like this idea of self-esteem and 
So another thing that I'm, I'm that I'm very passionate about really is trauma, which seems like a really funny thing to be passionate about. But this idea of childhood trauma um, that all of us in one way or another have have lived through some form of trauma. Um, are you familiar at all with like ACEs, adverse childhood experiences? I've heard that term, but I don't okay. know that I'm 100 percent familiar with it. So if you're if you are a rabbit holer which I think that you might be a little better, very least a researcher. Very much um, so, yeah. Yeah, just take a look at ACEs, um, Adverse Childhood Experiences. It was originally, um, and see, this is where I geek out just a little bit, so feel free to edit it out. No, do it. I'm um, leaving it all in. Okay, <laughs> all of it. Leave it all in. Um, so it was started by this guy, Folletti, who worked in an obesity clinic. He's a doctor in an obesity clinic. And he had, um, you know, he would have people who were morbidly obese, three and 400 pounds. And they were coming in and people were being very successful, losing half their body weight. And then they'd get to that point and then they'd stop and they'd gain it all back. And he was like, man, what the heck is going on? And so, you know, anytime he'd have a new patient, he have, he'd have, you know, a, a get to know you questionnaire more than that, a medical questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions was, you know, it was how how much did you weigh when you were born? How much did you weigh when you went to grade school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the questions was meant to be how old were you? How old were you? How old? Yeah, the question was meant to be how old were you when you were first sexually active? But he accidentally said, how much did you weigh when you were first sexually active? And the woman answered 40 pounds. And he was like, okay, wait a minute. I know I asked that wrong. Mm -hmm. So he asked it again. And she said, 40 pounds. That's when my dad started to molest me. And he was like, okie dokie. And was kind of like, well, that's interesting. So he started asking that question of every patient. And like nine out of 10 of his patients had all had some form of sexual abuse or some form of abuse as a child. So he's like, this is interesting you know, does a little bit more of it, takes it to other doctors. They're like, yeah, that's really not that big of a deal. Like, it's just a bunch of fat people. Like, you can't duplicate that. So then he partnered with Kaiser Permanente, which, you know, is that huge, like, insurance company conglomerate in California Mm -hmm. and had uh, 17,542 people that he, you know, initially studied Basically, it was a bunch of old white dudes, you know, college educated, um, had had health care. Right. They worked at a really great place and they found that two out of three people had at least one childhood adverse childhood experience. And then, you know, and then it climbs from there and there and there. So adverse experiences are things like any form of abuse, um, divorce, death of a parent, um, loss of parent through imprisonment experiencing uh, mental health issues in your home, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, neglect. There's 10. And so now I'm forgetting one of them. But and since and since their research, other people have, you know, things like homelessness and houselessness, food insecurity, bullying, um, the environment in which you live, like all of these things are considered childhood, um, adverse childhood experiences. And what they found is that um, for every childhood experience, adverse childhood experience that you have, the um, likelihood of you experiencing disease and death at a at a higher rate and 
um, sooner in your life increase exponentially the more aces that you've had. Um, which is just like if you've had four or more aces, you are like 270 times more likely to have hepatitis and like uh, 12 times more likely to have um, injected street drugs. I, I wow. can't think. I can't and they think were able to, and they were able to break that down into numbers. Yep. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I will tell you the best, the best, um, if you Google eight, just Google aces, but there's an article that's called, um, the, the biggest medical shit, the biggest medical phenomenon you've never heard of something i'll find it and i'll send it to you i'm actually Um, googling it right now oh perfect yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. it's it's um filetti and andrew um anda filetti and anda are the people that did it it's the biggest oh fuck i got it the adverse childhood experience study i got it yep yeah and it's and it's really an not an easy read right it's it's very uncomfortable read but it's it's all of that data, it's in there in a really great way to read about it. I so, would be very interested in reading this. Please do. Yeah, so, I'm going to. So, I, so here's the thing is that, and the reason that I talked all the way around that to come back to this is that um, all of us in one way or another have experienced trauma, right? Even if your parents were divorced and it was an amicable divorce, right? Everybody's friendly. We realize, you know what, this isn't the best thing for everybody. We're going to split up. That's still a traumatic event because now the two people who were my people are in different places. You know, they're not together. The birth yeah. of a sibling is a traumatic event. Um, yes, yeah, a shakeup. From... Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's yep, anything yep, yep. that changes that piece. So, um, But, you know, the whole, like, with stress, right? There's tolerable stress and toxic stress, right? All of those, everybody's experienced some form of trauma. But the biggest thing that I think, if, if I could, if I had, like, a magic wand that I could teach parents and adults that work with children just one thing is, is to address your own trauma, which sucks. And it's, it hurts and it's scary sometimes, but... You know, the way you were disciplined as a child is the way you'll discipline yourself as an adult, which is the way you'll discipline the people in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, oh, as, my as God, a, that is so true. Jesus. Right. Right. So like if as a young child, you were taught children are seen and not heard. Right. So then as an adult, if you're around kids that are whiny or tattletale, that kind of gets you icky, you know, that icky feeling inside mm-hmm. or. You know, I mean, that's why that's why this cycle of abuse is so hard to break, because if from a very young age. Um, so another person to research is Bruce Perry. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the uh, Child Trauma Institute and he's done research in the last few years that's really talked about. Um, and I I don't want to butcher this, so I'm going to say what I think it is, and then anybody who listens, if you're interested, actually just go Google Bruce Perry and know the right word, the right terms. But basically, what he found was that um, there's a level of predictability that if a child experiences trauma within certain um, age critical age periods of how long it will last um, and what effects you might see later. Like, so if, if a child experiences trauma between the ages of like one and two, 
there's a greater chance that we'll have longer lasting effects because between the ages of one and two, your amygdala is developing. And your amygdala is part of that emotion system that develops memories. And so if trauma happens during that time, while your brain is forming, and while your brain is figuring out how to form and how to get memories, the the memories of trauma, that's how your brain will wire. And so our, you know, brains that fire together, wire together. So if you are in an environment that that's that's rife with trauma, that's how your brain will wire. Your brain will will seek out trauma. It's, you know, I always talk to providers about, you know, if you have that kid, you know, in your program, you're consistent all the time. You have a you have a consistent schedule. You're talking about feelings, you're doing all the social emotional things. And then you have that kid that comes in and just is a tornado. You know, they just are wound. Well, kids brains who are raised in a trauma setting and that are in that are bathed in that adrenaline and cortisol right they come to a place that's calm and their brain is like what the fuck is going on yeah so they create chaos and then their brain goes okay yeah this is good because chaos is the normal right chaos is the normal that's what their brain is looking for right i am amazed by how much you know How did you get to know all of this stuff? Well, one, um, I do think it's my uh, OCD superpower, honestly. And I'm not being facetious or flippant. Um, This this need I have um, to find, to replace the doubt, right? Um, it, It drives me to learn new things. And I think... So before the job that I'm in now, I worked uh, with the Army. I worked in their child youth and school services setting. And if you know anything about the military, that it's it is it is a it is a beast of an if of its own. You know, mm-hmm. it's a whole different culture. And so when I was working for the Army, I had the privilege of being trained in their master resilience program. It's the program that they um, basically use in boot camp that teaches resiliency skills. And um, within that, they were talking about this idea of trauma. And I'd kind of had some thoughts about it, you know, maybe a little bit when I was getting my master's kind of thought about it. And so it was just one of those, like the little things that I was hearing really corresponded with some of the behaviors I was seeing. Because when I started working for the military was in 2008. And so that's about when... Things started to not necessarily die down from Iraq, because obviously it has not died down. But was it was really when we stopped seeing some of the stop loss and the the multiple deployments one right after another. Right. And you know what I, we were seeing these kids that you know had never had maybe seen their parent in real life once or twice in their three years. You know, and so they have all these people coming and going from their lives. They have caregivers that are coming and going from their lives. And we just were seeing these behaviors. And I was like, okay, there there has to be something here. And so I just started digging into trauma and and it spoke to me, you know, from from parts and pieces of my life. And then it just becomes and I think sometimes, all joking aside, it almost becomes a challenge for me of how much 
shit can I put in my brain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and, but it's, but at the same time, it's, 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 it always, it almost always serves a purpose. And I think most especially, I think it, me learning about trauma has been so impactful in my work with, um, with little, with children, but more importantly with adults, right? Because, you know, no parents, no kids, no job, right? So we have to interact with those parents and we have to find ways, you know, especially someone who, as someone who does not have human children of her own, I faced a lot of pushback in, in the years when I first kind of started in my career of, well, you're not a parent, you don't know. You're, you're absolutely right. I've never birthed a child. I don't, you know, you're absolutely right. That said, have you ever fed lunch to 12 toddlers, 12 hungry, angry, lonely toddlers, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, have you ever tried to herd those cats? You get your experience your own way. Right. And so I have had to learn. So here's the funny. Th- so I, I call them Sarah-isms just because it makes me feel better about myself. But I like to come up with these little things. And one that I've recently come up with, which is just so crazy because I truly believe that everything happens for a reason and in its time, whether or not that's corny, I truly believe it. But the one that I've come up just in this last week is um, control what you can, educate what you can't. Right. Explain Explain to me what, explain to yeah. me what that means. I was just making sure that you're still recording. Oh, I'm here. I'm, I am. I am <laughs> hanging on your every word. You're funny. Um, so control what you can, educate what you can't. Right. So it really came about of, you know, just like you said, Christian, babies do not come with manuals, right? And like I wouldn't go to a doctor's office and tell the nurse, you know, you're doing that wrong, because I'm not a nurse, right? But as a right. parent, you're expected to just know this shit because that baby came from you. So now you know what you're doing. And to ask for help in that is is somewhat shameful, right? Like, how do you not just know how to take care of your kid? Well, because I've never been trained in how to take care of a kid. And they're real fucking hard to take care of, mm-hmm. right? You got to keep them alive. They have a social security number. People will know if they die, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's paperwork. So, there's every baby. On the grid. Every baby they're has the paperwork. Grid. Right, yes. right, right. They are on the grid. You have There's to another Sarahism. Every baby has paperwork. Yes. Every baby has paperwork. <laughs> there's a lot of paperwork. I know a it. I know it. paperwork. <laughs> right. So just so it's this idea. So when I really first started out, I also I think was, you know, young and arrogant and educated, right? Like, why wouldn't you do it this way? This is the way you should, this is the way you should do it. And then I, you know, the hard way have learned, well, you know, when you get home from work, you have, you still have to make dinner and do baths and pay the bills and do homework and all this other stuff. And so it, it has come about of me saying, you know, there's, I think it's from Tombstone or whatever, like you give them books and give them books and all they do is eat the pages Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not from Tombstone. I don't know. But this idea of that I have to be okay with people eating the pages, I still have to give them the books. And that I I have to be able to show people what I mean what by what I say. And so what I always tell providers, you know, when they say, God, mom, mom won't do this and mom doesn't do this. And I say, stop. You can't. Once they step out of your doors, you have zero control. 
right? I have no control over what that parent does when they leave my building, but I do have control over how I educate that parent. So I'm going to control what I can and educate what I can't. So I can tell that parent this biting is a developmentally appropriate behavior. It's going to happen. I know it sucks. And trust me, your child being bit sucks almost as bad as being the parent of the child that's doing the biting. Trust me, I've had so many parents in an office bawling because their child is the biter. Right. But it's educating parents about why, why we don't make children apologize. Right. Like I can't I can't control what you do with that information. I cannot control you making your child apologize or not. But I can educate you as to why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm saying what I'm saying. One of the things that strikes me about you, Sarah, is the patience that you seem to have. I mean, I imagine that this particular job requires a lot of patience. And have you always been a patient person or is that something that you've worked on in yourself? Yes. Um, I think there would be some people who would disagree with you that I'm patient. Um, I will tell you that with little people, I I could go all day. You know, we're, we're going to do this thing and I, I know that you're not there yet. So I'm, I'm going to be patient with you. Being patient with adults is a constant struggle for for me because you're an adult. <laughs> you know, I, I gave you I gave you the information. I told you how to do it. I told you again. OK, now get it done. And so I. One, thank you for saying that, because that that is that is a behavior that I try to be very mindful of that not everybody has my experience. Not everybody has my knowledge. Not everybody has my passion. And I have to be okay with that. Again, I have to control what I can and educate what I can't. And some days I'm really good at that. And other days I'm, I'm, I have a very short fuse. But I think that that feels really good for you to have asked that question, whether or not that was your intention. That feels really good for me because it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm getting to, I'm on that path to getting to that place where people can see that about me. Well, it was genuine. Again, I, I asked yeah. it because oh, yeah. I feel like, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what you go through in that position. I imagine mm-hmm. that you must be, among other things, you must be saying the same things over and over to a lot of oh, different yes. people. You must be All repeating the, the same strategies over and yep. over and over again. And yep. as somebody who really gets annoyed having to repeat mm-hmm. themselves over and over and over again, I admire the type of patience that would enable mm-hmm. somebody to do that and not lose their shit. Yeah, well, I think, you know, sometimes it depends on if I'm repeating the same thing to the same person, that that's that's frustrating for me. You know, if I've told you multiple times, I've shown you, I've asked you, because at, at some point, you know, you are just going to eat the books. And I but then I have to learn to be OK with that. That's a struggle for me. Like there, I have to, I can educate, I can educate anyone. God damn it. <laughs> you're going to learn and you're going to like it. Good for you. So, Tell them. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. Hell yeah. But, but at some point I have to learn to step back and say, you're not ready for this yet. So I am going to 
educate you. I'm going to give you. And I think that's probably one of the most rewarding things. And, and that has maybe helped build a little bit of the patience is I've gotten to the point and, and, and I think patience and I'm, I, this is a reflection that's happening in real time. So stick with me. It might be crap. I'm in. I think some of my patience has come from the confidence that I have learned to build in myself. That makes sense. You know you got it. You know eventually, whether it's now or however many, however long from now, you eventually, you know, you got this. Yep. And and I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know that what I'm saying is is true, right? And maybe I just haven't found the way to say it that that sounds true to you, right? But I can show you, I can stick by you, I can repeat myself. But until you put yourself in the situation and you actually, you know, it's the same thing I think that they say often with addicts, right? You can't make somebody go to treatment. And if someone is going to treatment for you, they're not ready for treatment. Right. And I mean, I think that's being being a parent is being an addict, I guess, is essentially what I'm saying. Parenting is a drug. Yeah. <laughs> parenting, parenting is a drug <laughs> that you're stuck with. Like it's. It's a thing. Yep. Okay. Um, oh, that was the other thing I want to say. Sorry. So other things that not sorry. I'm you, not sorry. You didn't um, do anything to apologize for. I know. Well, but I'm kind of derailing, but kind of not. You are not. This is okay. the title of this episode is your name. So you say I, right. whatever you need or want to say. Ooh, I I need I need more Christian in my life. <laughs> um this idea, so something that science has really been digging into, which just blows my mind, is that trauma is generational. And not only is it generational, like we can think about, you know, the cycle of poverty, the cycle of abuse, but that it is actually, it actually changes our DNA. That we are experiencing in some way or another the trauma of the generations before us because of the DNA that we have from them. That's very profound. That's a very profound observation. And like you said, so many people, I would venture to say the majority of people have undergone some sort of trauma in their life. And to look at it that Mm -hmm. way is like, that's a whole, that's a game changer. Well, and I think it's also so profound in the moment we're in society, when we're talking about black and brown lives, and we're talking about slavery and reparation and you know, if if you truly believe, which I do, you truly believe that trauma is carried through genes. So if we think about, you know, people who were stolen from their home and made to come and and live in horrendous conditions in slavery, and then even after slavery was over, made to live in this society that was created by the government that that just imply employs systemic racism and systemic poverty it's unimaginable trauma i i I, (laughs) it's like trauma beyond what you can measure i right as as a white middle class well-educated woman like how do i you know, I I have worked, not worked a lot on, but 
the idea of like, you know, white privilege, a hundred percent. I, you know, a hundred percent. It's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Get on board. Yep. Um, But, you know, of white guilt is, is something. So my, my, my podcast partner, Rudy, um, is her family is from Mexico and we've had lots of conversations and I can't remember what it was specifically that we're talking about. Um, but we, you know, talking about wanting to have, wanting to have some episodes that are about some of this stuff, right? Because it's never too young to talk to children about race and, and those types of things. And, you know, she basically said to me, I want you to make sure that you want to have this conversation because you want to educate people and not because you want to alleviate any white guilt that you have. And I was like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you. know, like, and one, like, thank you for saying that to me. Like, I. Wow. I yeah, I just even now. So I no, I'm not gonna apologize. I but I will say that I I my intention was not to go down down that road. It was just that trauma piece that I I remembered that I wanted to to say of just this idea that science is looking into genetics and like we it's it's it is mind boggling what we don't know about ourselves. It is, isn't it? It was like no matter how much you think you know, you've only you've only scratched the surface. Yes. Yep. Yep. And 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 to think that we are that we're as humans, I mean even take out the American piece of it, but as humans we're so arrogant to think that we know. But 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 then there's that piece of me that's like I I want to know. I, I want to know. And I don't I don't think enough people want to know because it hurts. It's hard. Yeah. Sometimes. And that's you know, that's the other thing. You have to you have to learn to be you have to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. What do you mean? So like, so that conversation with Rudy, right, of her being able to say to me, I want to make sure that you want to do this because you want to educate people uh, and not because you're trying to alleviate white guilt, right? Like that was super uncomfortable, but we are at the point in our relationship where we're comfortable with having those uncomfortable conversations. And I think we, we don't, and, and really to circle back around to what we were talking about before of, you know, this anonymity that we have um, with social media and this inability to connect, right? We, we're not, we don't have deep enough relationships that allow us to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, because given the choice I feel like the average person wouldn't voluntarily step out of their comfort zone. Of course, you're going to stay where you're comfortable. Right. Well, I mean, I, and I, you know, and then I think about it in, in a whole nother aspect of like my marriage, right? This is, this is my second marriage. My first marriage was not a good one. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have happened, but I don't regret it because I learned things about myself in that situation that I know to do differently. And then I think about my relationship with my husband and how, you know, we've been together for 10 years now and 
where we were 10 years ago and where we are now, like, there's so much uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> lots of, un- lots of uncomfortable. But, but it's good that you can look I back and identify. Him. Right. And it's good yeah. that you can look back and identify that. Like, that I feel like is a really solid sign of personal growth to be able to look back and see, geez, that's who I was then and this is who I am now. There's a difference there. That's good. I think that's yeah. a really, really positive thing to, to be able to do. Yeah. Well, it's just, and it, it, I think it is, it's so much about trust. And especially if you have any kind of trauma in the past or you've never had a, a supportive relationship where, because, I, you know, Christian, I'm the type of person, I, I do not like surface level conversation. It's really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how's your mom? How's the thing? Like, Small I talk. Yeah, shits. I hate it. Yeah. I hate yeah. small talk. Yep. I yep. hate it. And, you know, I would really rather have a philosophical conversation with you about, you know, whatever. And, and and not not for some cerebral, you know, type of thing. Like, I just don't like surface level conversations. And that makes people really uncomfortable. And sometimes I like making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I was watching, and this was years ago, but I've seen it a million times because it's one of those things that just sort of inspires me. There's an episode of a show on Netflix called Chef's Table. And every episode of Chef's Table is about some maybe famous, maybe not, probably famous after they do the show, but some notable chef and Mm -hmm. their process and how they became a chef and how they and and there was this one episode with a guy named Francis Mallman and Mm -hmm. he is like a he's a barbecue master and Mm -hmm. he lives in South America and he has a five-star restaurant and has Michelin star all this stuff and one of the one of the pieces of advice he gave at the show was that once you get comfortable you have to get up and leave Mm-hmm. Once you settle too much in your chair, you have to go That's find a new chair. Right. Yes. And I, yes. I've i internalized yes. that so hard, so hard in my life that, uh-huh. you know, you can't stay comfortable. Part of what makes right. life exciting is that ability to, like, shake shit up once in a while. Yep. The ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, Exactly. Yeah, Sarah, I want to say something, and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, I promise you. But I need to tell you why what I'm hearing from you and why everything that you've said is so inspiring. Okay. So I imagine that there are a lot of people who listen to things like this who have OCD, who have Mm. ADHD. And I know Mm. that there are people in my life throughout all the years I've gone to high school and college and my professional career who have had ADHD. And I Mm. bet that there are so many of those people that wish they could focus, that wish Mm. they could get a hold of this thing and do something, put their energy, focus it on something productive and 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 go out and do something and Uh to be able for for those people to be able to hear of somebody with ocd somebody with adhd somebody who actively struggles with those things and has such a huge base of knowledge about about such a challenging concept and such a challenging idea. I mean, the idea of raising children, the idea of, mm. of, of of being a parent, even though you don't have kids yourself, that I would imagine is so inspiring to people like that. Mm. Thank you. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And thank you for that. I genuinely thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. I, you know, for the longest time, I really struggled 
with this idea of my authentic self because my authentic self is very passionate and somewhat scattered (laughs) and all of those things that you just said. And I've worked really hard to like my authentic self and to stand up for my authentic self. And I don't know. I just thank you. That's that means a lot. I'm glad. I mean, it's 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 true. That's, you know, just from the, the personal experience I have in terms of knowing people with with ADHD in particular um, Mm -hmm. and just what a struggle that can be. You know, yeah. to I, I, I spent years uh, when I was in college, I spent about two years working at a I was managing a computer lab for students with disabilities. And a lot of them had ADHD and a lot of them, you know, at the end of the day, just wished that they could take classes and take tests and and, and, and do their schoolwork. <laughs> yes. And, and 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 do their schoolwork the way the people around them could. Yep. You know, be a fuck up. So, so in that way. Holy shit, you're cool. <laughs> Thank you. I I I have to I have to throw that equally right back at you. Like I I have had a couple moments while we've been talking like is just total deja vu like like soul connection like like I feel like probably if we ever had the opportunity to meet in real life, like we would just sit and just talk for hours and hours and hours and about about everything. I mean, just think about the 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 range of subjects we we covered in this. And so it only I seems like we, an hour ago we were talking about pee. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we didn't even get to my obsession with murder, so you know. No, we'll have to. We'll, there will have to be a part two. We'll have to. We'll have to uh, get into it. I would love that. I guess what I'm saying is thank you. Um, and and I'm being very serious about your your hosting abilities. Like, and 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 I and I can say that genuinely, and I can say it from another perspective of also being a podcast person and a person who has done interviews on the podcast of of being able to lead someone and you know to not to not fluff too much but to to listen enough to ask the right questions and and then to sit back and be quiet and listen and ask and interject when it's appropriate that's always a struggle for me and I know part of that is my ADHD because it's like, oh, my God, I want to say it right now. And if I don't say it, I'll forget it. It's so good. And, <laughs> you know, I, I know part of that is there. But but genuinely, Christian, like. And, and I will tell you this, I, I am so excited to go back and listen to episodes. I intentionally have not listened because I wanted to come into this with absolutely no expectations. I wanted I just, I just, I wanted to come into it like with no expectations. So I have not listened and I am so fucking pumped to go back and listen 
to all all of the episodes. I I hope they're all I hope they are all as good as this one is going to be. I got to tell you. Well, they you. won't be cuz it's not me, but that's Well, me. that's right. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this now Except for maybe the one with your wife. I think your wife that's probably it. That one was pretty that one was pretty good. I got to tell you. And I knew that everybody was going to love that one. I knew as soon as I put it out every and everybody has like, "Oh my god, that's the best one yet." Like I knew it. I just I know because she's so much smarter than me, just so much better than me. Like I I just knew that people were going to gravitate towards well, it. She's your person so of course i'm sure like your love just your love and your admiration for her just probably just pours out of your voice when you're talking there is a much different yeah i would oh yeah i i would i I would say so i mean there's a much different tone than like than a lot of the other ones also she was in person that's the first time ever i've ever done this face to face with a person so even yeah. that was like a little different. And, and just the fact that I knew her really well, you know, right. it, 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 it was a whole different experience. I'm really glad you hadn't listened to anything. That's exactly how I want Are people you? to come in. I like I okay. like when people come on and go, oh, my God, I like the show. It, like that feels nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just as, as from a human to a human. But I also yes. enjoy when people jump into this and have, like you said, no expectation. They don't know what the hell's going to happen. Because I feel like this is a much different experience than like a regular podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Yes. And actually, while we're on the subject, I asked this question, Sarah, of every person who's on the show. Yay. Because uh, participation in the show was a choice. I put out a form on Reddit. I asked for basic information. I just said, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? How old are you? Whatever. And just based on that information, I'm having these conversations with people. And now you were one of those people. What made you want to participate in this? What made you say yes and want to do this? Um, That's an excellent question. So I think think there might be a couple pieces to it. One is just podcaster to podcaster, right? Like knowing what it takes to put yourself out there to get people to listen, Right. Not. And I don't mean that like, oh, I'm going to give you my, you know, that's not what I mean. Like just that that understanding of of the hustle behind a podcast. Sure. Right? Especially sure. one in especially a format like this where you legit have to have a different person every time Um, Two, and this is so uncomfortable, but I do enjoy talking about myself. I'm sorry. I do that. It's, you know, it's fun it's fun to talk about yourself to someone who genuinely wants to know about you. Even if it's, even if you genuinely didn't want to know about me, like, (laughs) well, I did. Did, Right. I did. I totally did. But do do you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's something of that, like knowing. Okay. Here's what it is. Is the knowing, like you said, the episode title is my name. Like I, I, I know that I get to go into this and not feel bad for taking over the conversation. Right. And that's one of, it does. That's one of the things that a lot of people who participate in this thing come out of it realizing that like, holy shit, it's okay to talk about myself and the things that I like for an hour because there aren't many opportunities in daily Mm -mm. life anymore to do that. I mean, if your experience is anything like mine, I noticed that a lot of the conversations I have out in the real world have a time limit. There's always a point where Mm. somebody like takes out their phone or like looks at their watch or has to go or, you know, wants to get out of it. Yeah. So to be able to have a conversation that really, you know, it, it really doesn't have any definite time limit. It just goes when it goes and stops when it stops. It's like, 
it feels good. Yeah. And a lot of people, yeah. I feel like, come away from this experience feeling that. Absolutely. I mean, well, but I think, Christian, the other piece of that is is you, you know, is the way that you, like, the way you nurture the 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 guest like you just kind of have this i <laughs> it's it's so weird I, and i know people think it's corny or whatever but like I, you you just you have you seem to have this ability to just instantly make a connection with people and like i was a little bugged out by the not us not looking at each other just just because i rely a lot on social cues um from other people of, am I talking too much? Am I too loud? Whatever. And, but I, I, not one single time. Well, okay. That's not true. The time when your computer died, I did feel a little awkward there, but yeah, me too. You can't imagine how I fucking felt when that happened. Uh, Holy shit. And me sitting here like, oh my God, what did I do? No, my internet's fine. Jesus Christ, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> but no, like there was ne- there was never an awkward, there was nothing awkward about it. And there was no, like I can only imagine the challenge for you, especially not, yeah, you just have this form. And like, what if the person you get on there like is a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Nazi supporter, someone. I'm sorry. I, 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 I am truly sorry if that's offensive. I, it was the only thing that came to my brain. Like, no, it's not. No, but no, but I know what you're asking. What if it's something that I could, I that a, a reasonable human being could have no empathy for, or could have right. no ability to understand or sympathize for? Yeah, I, like that has to be maybe just low key terrifying every time you go into one of these interviews. And for you to to inst for for you to instantly make the person feel well, I I will speak for myself. I instantly felt welcome, and I instantly felt like, oh, okay, we're gonna talk and we're gonna have fun. Like, like that's a that is a skill and a talent, Christian, to be able to come into that situation. You can't see me. You don't know shit about me. You have no idea what's gonna come out of my mouth, and yet you instantly have this like rapport well thank you very much for that that, that's very that is very kind of you to say and and it really means a lot to me um one of the things that has helped me grow as a person over i'll say like the last 10 years of my life is this notion that we are all just people trying their best to not be their parents And in that way, I feel like anybody I talk to, I guarantee I can share one common experience. I guarantee that that there's something I can I I, I can relate to anybody in at least one way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Whether it's yes, whether it's something embarrassing that I do or it's something Mm -hmm. that I feel or something that I think about or something that I want to do with my life or something that, you know, or or an experience that I've had in my life. I just, you know. Part of my way of interfacing with people is realizing that there is a common thread there. It is it, it's in there. Whether you see it yeah. right away or it takes a little bit of talking to uncover it, it's there. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, the human brain operates on either the principle of alike or different. 
everybody everybody operates on one or one or one other one or one end or the other of that spectrum like you're either a you're a differences person or you're a similarities person every brain is that way right it's one or the other and so i think enough we don't have enough people that are looking for those commonalities and those similarities and just go into it sure and and I'll answer I'll answer the question you asked. What if I end up talking to some like Nazi skinhead sympathizer? I mean, yes. you know, as the person who's hosting this show, it's not necessarily my place to one hundred percent validate what a person is saying. Mm. I think that mm. even even oh. I think that even with a person like that who let's say I get on with somebody and they just start espousing these like you know, this like Nazi propaganda and philosophy yeah. and, you know, I think there's even value in listening to that in that yeah. it's important to know that there are people like that in the world. I mean, the yes. world is made up of like a million different flavors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't yuck my yum. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, there could be a longer, more philosophical discussion about the ethics of, of giving a person like that an hour of airtime. But oh, I also yes. think that as the host of the show, I would have a place to ask, now you know that's bullshit, right? You know what I mean? Like, right. I, 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 right. I could step in and, you know, it's not my job to, you know, say yes, Give oh my God, yes, to, to everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Oh, no, I think that's but that's but isn't that what's great about our country, right, is that Black Lives Matter can stand next to KKK. And, you know, do I love that people are screaming and hurting each other? No. But like. At some point, we have to be able to understand that we live in a society that allows us to to live the, to to live to for that duality within our within our society. Right. Right. It's beautiful. Love, yeah, but, right. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, and you know what's so interesting about some of the research that they've done about um, cults and things of that nature is that nine times out of 10, the people that join, they join because it's a sense of family. Yeah. Well, the same thing with street gangs, too. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yes. it's, that, it's that sense of belonging somewhere. Yes. Yep. Of, of, you know, maybe you've, you're the kid that's always getting picked on, bullied, whatever, and, and they they know how to bring you in and say, you know, we're your family, we're here to support you. And if we could just look at, if we could just build some common ground with people and listen to people, yes. If that oh, isn't without the... Without having to validate, yeah. If that right. isn't the perfect thought to end on, I don't know what is. I know, I know. That is perfect. <laughs> this, oh. this... Sarah, I, 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 I got to tell you, this has been such an enriching experience talking to you. And I feel like I, I am taking same. so much away from from this experience. I am so glad same. we're not strangers anymore. This is such a fantastic conversation. Yay. I, I hope this was I hope this was as much fun for you as you thought it was going to be Ugh. before you got into it. Yes. Yes. I'm more, more, more fun. I'm, I'm, more. I'm so I'm so glad to hear that. Yes. And I really hope I would abs- I would absolutely love to do part two if that's ever something you want to do. I would I would do part 75 million with you. Oh, I'm totally down. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I think I think we I think we have a lot more talking to do. Amen. Let's stay in touch. 
Absolutely. Thank you for sharing everything that you shared. And thank you for giving me some stuff to think about and some stuff to watch and read. I'm excited to do all that, too. Um, Excellent. And I hope you, when you go back and listen to the other shows, I hope you enjoy those, too. Um, yes. And, yeah, let me know what you think. I'd be interested. I would be, I would be interested to know what you thought of all that. Absolutely. Awesome. I will. Let's stay in touch. Yes, definitely. Sarah, good luck with everything. Good luck with your job. Good luck with your husband and the cats and the dog. And um, <laughs> stay safe. And you as well. Hey, thank you so much, Sarah. You have a good night, all right? You too. Bye, Thank Christian. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, for my studio in Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. New episodes premiere every Saturday on all major streaming services and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Follow the show at StrangerThanC on Twitter, Instagram, and the Stereo app, where you can hear me talk live throughout the week with complete strangers from around the world. If you enjoy the show, support me on Patreon. Not only will you be supporting unedited, honest conversation, but you'll also receive lots of perks and bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash stranger than Christian to give your support. Until next week, thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian, part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. I'm Christian Carrion. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.